it's so important for us to remind ourselves of those things that God is faithful, that he will never fail us, that he is steadfast and uh, a safe place in the storms of life. Um, good, good reminders. Uh, I want to invite you to, uh, if you get your Bible with you, uh, to turn to the book of Ephesians, whether that's a hard copy or on your phone or whatever. Uh, make sure you do turn your phones off. You Honey, I'm sorry. That was very insensitive. Very insensitive. Um, I, I want to pick up right where I left off a couple of weeks ago. I want to return to that picture that I painted of this idea that we are at war. And I said that you may not feel like it at the moment, but I bet you can think of a time when you did, and I can guarantee you that there will be another time when life will feel very much like a battle zone. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 at the end of this letter that our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. So we're not waging war against our culture against our neighbor, against our government, or anything like that. Our battle is against principalities of darkness. It is a spiritual war that's going on that we're a part of. And our battle is very specifically against what Paul says are the schemes of the devil. Now, when I say devil, I know that it's possible in our day to, to think of that as some kind of mythical figure or creature, some sort of legend, uh, maybe just something that someone made up to make sense of why the world is such a mess. But biblically understood, the devil is very real, very tangible, very uh, important for us to think about, certainly very real. So we are going with the biblical assumption that we have an enemy and the lead of that enemy is the devil. His strategy involves one core thing, deception. And if we miss that, if we try to think about all other kinds of things, we will fight poorly. I mentioned a book to you uh, a couple of weeks ago. I want to remind you again, I, it really is one of the best books I've read on just waging war in everyday life as a follower of Christ. It's called Live No Lives by John Mark Comer. And here's how he describes the strategy of the enemy. This is how it plays out. It's deceptive ideas. See if you can relate to this that play on disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That's how that works out in everyday life for you and for me. So if we're going to wage war, that's where we've got to go with the fight. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to do what? To destroy strongholds. We've all got them. To destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And here's the key to take every thought captive. 
To who? To Christ. So God's strategy is to bring truth to bear on the lies of our enemy. That's where the battle takes place. And so I want to offer a a strategy statement of my own that I think addresses what uh, Comer uh, describes. And that is biblical truth made clear by the Holy Spirit and cultivated within a community of Christ followers. That's how we wage war. Biblical truth made clear by the Holy Spirit, absolutely essential, and then cultivated within a community of Christ followers. So with all of that in mind, we go back to Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We said this is a song of praise or a doxology that Paul writes to begin his letter. He begins it by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a declaration of praise. It is also a declaration of war. He is stating truth that will confront the lies that the enemy might tell you or me in everyday life. The truth outlined here revolves around the gracious activity of God on our behalf. And so right after declaring praise to God, he says that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Then the rest of the song is really just celebrating or rehearsing the blessings that each of us enjoy as children of God. Two weeks ago, I mentioned uh, in verses 3 through 6, the work of the Father. And so Paul is actually celebrating the work of the Trinity here, Father, Son, and Spirit. So verses 3 through 6, the work of the Father. And he specifically identified that as us being chosen. Then last week, Jeff uh, talked about the work of the Son, and it's actually divided up into two parts. So the first part deals with us being redeemed. That is a work of the Son on our behalf, one of those spiritual blessings that we enjoy. This morning, we're going to talk about the second part of the work of the Son in uh, 11 and 12, and then in 13 and 14, we'll look at the work of the Spirit. So spiritual blessing number one, chosen for adoption into God's family. That's true of you if you know Christ. Secondly, second spiritual blessing is we are redeemed from the mastery of sin. What a great gift. What a great gift. This morning we're going to begin with a third blessing that has to do with inheritance. And um, to be honest... I didn't think a lot about an inheritance, very practically speaking. Um, I grew up in a single-parent home. My sweet mom took care of me and my sister, and we were a handful. And as you can imagine, a lot of financial strain, a lot of challenges there. When, uh, When my sister and I moved out. My mom was on her own and eventually she sold the house and moved into a little apartment and um, had a lot of medical issues. And so it made perfect sense for me to think, and not that I was sitting around kind of going, 
gosh, can't wait for the day when my inheritance comes, right? Who thinks about that? But I certainly never expected one. I truly believed. My mom made me the executor of her will, and I thought that was going to be sorting out the mountain of debt that she had accumulated over the years. Well, what a surprise. My mom had actually been planning and preparing for decades to leave something for me and my sister. Much of what our home is today is a direct reflection of the sacrificial care that my mom took when I didn't even know about it. So my view of inheritance has changed dramatically. I am full of gratitude. The amount doesn't even matter. The fact that my mom would be so intentional It helps me to believe in the great intentionality of God to prepare an inheritance for us that goes so far beyond what any of us could ever imagine. Paul is trying to help us understand and appreciate the sacrificial care of our Father to prepare an inheritance for us. So that takes us to verse 11, spiritual blessing number three. He says, in him, speaking of Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So let's work through this. Uh, one little piece at a time. That that's phrase at the beginning, in him, Jeff mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. There's not a more important phrase in all of the book of Ephesians and probably in all of the New Testament. We have to understand that. It's our primary way of understanding ourselves as Christ's followers. It's the essence of our true identity, having placed our faith In Christ, we are in Him. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if anyone, so if you're a Christian, if you say, I'm a Christian today, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away, and the new things. Have come. It's a whole new arrangement for your life, beginning at the moment of your conversion. It's how we are to understand ourselves. It's also the central, primary way in which we are known and understood by God. It's how He sees us in Christ. That's how Paul says it again and again and again. We are united with him. We are in communion or fellowship with Christ. We have been identified with him. Those things that are true of him are true of us. We are being progressively conformed to his image. That's sanctification. That's the spiritual formation that's going on in every person that knows him. The imagery that we're given throughout the New Testament 
um, head and body imagery, right? Christ is the head. We are the body. Um, Vine, branch, right? Husband, wife, all of those images are meant to help us understand what it means to be in Christ, to be united or one with him. So Paul is saying, because of that, because of that relationship, that orientation in your life, we have obtained an inheritance. Quick pause on that translation. It says we have obtained an inheritance. And while that is most certainly true, and Paul is going to to bring us back to that idea in other places in Ephesians, it doesn't seem to be the best way to understand what he's talking about here. The verb, and I'm not trying to be all grammar geekerly or whatever, but um, it's a passive, which means something is happening to us. So the better way to understand this is that we have been made an inheritance, made a heritage. For who? For God. We, in Christ, are his inheritance. We have been claimed as God's own possession. Does that ring a bell if you're thinking about your Old Testament? When you're thinking about the people of Israel, what did he say about them? Peter remembered that. 1 Peter 2.9, he said, you, now he's speaking of the New Testament church, but he's borrowing Old Testament language and the descriptions of Israel. Here's what he says. You, those of you who are in Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been made an inheritance of God. That's a beautiful truth. We're going to come back to that later. But you have an inheritance Because you are an inheritance. And in that order. Once again, Paul mentions this idea of being predestined. And if we have been made an inheritance, we have been predestined with purpose. So what is that purpose? Again, I want to take us back to God's uh, selecting, electing, predestining work that he did all the way back with Abraham. This helps us kind of get a full picture of what, like, why would God choose me or you? Remember two weeks ago, I said, not instead of somebody else, in spite of who you are, in spite of who I am. But, but li- listen to these words in Genesis 12. This was God choosing, predestining, Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So gosh, all these amazing benefits for Abraham, right? Chosen by God, hand selected, sent to a place of blessing. Why would God do all that? 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. I have a suspicion that you and I were chosen, predestined, elected, blessed to be a blessing. That's God's intention in this life. And certainly we will have eternal benefits associated with that. But we have been predestined so that our hope in Christ would glorify God, would display his goodness to a lost world so that they might cry out to him and seek the life that only he can provide. So spiritual blessing number three We have been claimed as God's inheritance. And what a blessing that is. There is great encouragement, security, strength, and courage associated with being in that position. Now, before moving on to verses 13 and 14, there's a couple of little pronouns in there that often get confused. Um, In verse 12, Paul says, We who were first to hope in Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, you also, when you heard the word of truth, and what a lot of commentators, translators, teachers will say is that Paul is referring to Jewish believers in verse 12, and then Gentile believers in verse 13, as if there were a distinction being made here. And that is understandable because Paul is going to address an ethnic divide that is occurring in the church of Ephesus. There is this tension, this conflict between Jews and Gentiles, all of them believers, but there's some tension there. And he is going to address that and talk about the unity that there is in the body of Christ. But here, it really doesn't make sense for him to begin making that distinction. It doesn't begin until chapter 2, verse 11. So what it seems is he is really reinforcing the unity that he and his group, where he is writing the letter, and the Ephesians who are in Ephesus, he's trying to say, we're all on the same page here. So it's not you also as if it's something different, but you in addition to what you have experienced with us, you're also experiencing the truths that I'm just about to hit. But I just it's important for us to treat this doxology as a unit applying to everyone. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, all of the above, all together. So in verse 13, then the focus shifts from the work of the Son to the work of the Spirit, of which all of those believers in Ephesus have experienced. So look at verse 13. In Him, again, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it 
to the praise of his glory. So here, Paul does make that shift away from us being an inheritance to receiving an inheritance and talks about what is instrumental for that to happen. Now, verse 13 gives us some important insights into the conversion experience. Notice the word heard. No one has ever been saved without hearing first the word of truth. And that word heard isn't referring to just an auditory exercise. It's not just hearing sounds. It's actually grasping what you're hearing, understanding, and applying that. That's what it means to hear. And then Paul particularizes what needs to be heard. He calls it the word of truth. And this is what must be known and understood in order for one to be saved. So in other words, it's not just hearing anything. And we're going to talk about belief. It's not just about believing anything. And sincerity means absolutely nothing here. Because you can sincerely believe falsehood, right? And it doesn't mean, it doesn't make it true simply because of how passionately you believe it. It either is or it isn't. So these people in Ephesus, when Paul and his crew first went there and shared the gospel with them, they heard it, they understood, they received it. It was the word of truth, which means that it corresponds with what is real. And then they believed it, which means they not only received it, they placed their trust in it. They applied the truth of that message to their life. In other words, Christ died for sin, right? I can believe that and in no way apply it to my life. I can just say, oh, that's a nice idea. It's really encouraging, and I'm sure that works for some people. No, they said, I need for Jesus to do that for me. And my only hope in this world and the next is if his sacrificial death is applied to my sin. That's the only way I'm ever forgiven and made right with God. That is what they did. They heard the word of truth, the gospel that explains the only hope that we have in this world, and then they believed it. I do think it's interesting that we have here a great example of what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, that here's man's responsibility to believe right on the heels of a statement about God's sovereignty. They're put here right next to each other, held in tension, unresolved. Both are true. There is not a single person that has been saved that was not chosen. There is also not a single person that has ever been saved that did not believe and choose for themselves to follow Christ. So these believers heard and trusted in Christ. And as a result, they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
Now, in the ancient world, and I'm sure you've seen examples of this, it would be like taking a, a document, rolling it up, getting a big glob of hot wax and dropping it on there, and then a signet ring being pressed into that wax that is sealing that document, which says it is authentic and it bears the authority of the one who wrote it and sent it. So that is the function, one of the functions that the Holy Spirit has in your life and in mine as a result of our trusting in Christ. He is impressed upon us as a mark, as an identification, even before God, that says this person is God's. They have, they have been changed They have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. This mark, it communicates security, authentication, genuineness, and ownership. It is what says to God, we are his. Harold Honer says, The sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit is to identify believers as God's own, And give them security that they belong to him. We are told, I realize this is mystical, it's spiritual, but the Holy Spirit in you affirms in you that you have trusted in Christ. And there's really no other way to verify that other than through his testimony in your life. Now, that's not all that the Holy Spirit does, and I felt like this was a good opportunity to highlight some of the other ministries of the Holy Spirit. He is our helper, as Jesus said, and this was huge. I mean, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, I've been with you, which they loved. What a great thing to have God, right, in flesh and blood right next to you, walking with you. He said, here's something better. The Holy Spirit isn't going to only be with you, he's going to be in you. So that leads us to these ministries of the Holy Spirit. There is indwelling, which is God's enabling residence in the life of a believer. And there's a whole lot wrapped up into that. But the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, in you. It's not just an idea or a concept. It is God's power, alive and well, in you, enabling you to live the life God intends. Baptizing, that is the unification of believers with one another in the body of Christ. So when you trust in Christ, you are put together with other believers into the family of God. That means, look around, you're surrounded by family brothers and sisters in Christ. And you are that way because God decided to make it that way. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit, spiritually speaking, which brought unity between you and other believers. Um, Two other ministries of the Holy Spirit, filling, which is biblical guidance, instruction, and correction, not to be confused with indwelling. This is different. When it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it means being led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. That's the idea there. And then lastly, comforting. 
sustaining believers through the difficulties of life in a broken world at war with God. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and through your life as you relate to others around you who might be facing the difficulties of life. I'll highlight that the indwelling and the baptizing, and I would say the sealing, happen immediately at the point of conversion. So, a common teaching in our world is the idea of a second blessing related to the activity of the Holy Spirit. I understand where that comes from. Uh, Those who teach that draw from the book of Acts and some of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And I would say I think the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. So it's just telling us how the early church was formed. But according to what Paul says here in Ephesians 1, when you trust in Christ, right, the mark, you are sealed, indwelt, and baptized immediately. Then you begin this ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit of filling and comforting. That is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Specifically, what we're taking away from this doxology here today is that the Holy Spirit serves as a guarantee of an inheritance that we will receive when we leave this life and go into the next. And there is great assurance associated with that of two things. First of all, I said earlier, we get an inheritance because we are an inheritance. And I want to ask you this question. Do you think there is any chance at all that God will lose his inheritance? Yeah, not a chance. So do you, you feel that? Do you feel the encouragement and security that, that is associated with that? We're going to talk about the lies of the enemy and how to speak to those. And you can say, I am an inheritance of God Almighty. And regardless of how I might feel about myself or think about myself, he says, I'm his. He claimed me as his inheritance. Therefore, I have an inheritance. And I'm living for that. I'm living with that in mind. Also, part of the, the, most, the most beautiful part of that is certainly being with Christ, but the final and full expression of our redemption, which Jeff talked about last week. I want to kind of complete the idea because remember he talked about us being set free or delivered from the penalty of sin, right? And then also the power of sin in our everyday experience, like sin no longer is our master, but this guaranteed inheritance that is coming later, that will deliver us from the presence of sin completely never to be experienced again. What a gift. So we have been chosen, redeemed, claimed, and then spiritual blessing number four, we have been sealed with God's Spirit.
these weapons, I'm sorry, these truths are the weapons of our warfare. And I came across something that helped me think about this. Maybe this will help you as well. In World War II, the Nazis, and I know other militaries have done this in various places throughout history, but in particular, the Nazis would fly over the Allied troops and they would drop these leaflets. And it was propaganda, psychological warfare. What they were trying to do was to dishearten these soldiers so that they might leave the fight. Are you getting the parallels here? So the enemy is, is trying to redirect their hearts and minds toward home where family and friends, it would suggest that they're probably all moving along without you. Maybe there's infidelity at home. You might not even make it home. Those were some of the messages of these leaflets, all meant to discourage those who are fighting the fight. The enemy, our enemy, the liar, he does the same thing. He drops leaflets into your heart and mind every day, trying to discourage you, trying to dishearten you, trying to cause you to leave the fight. So I want to very practically, as a so what today, I I want to sort of guide you through a time of applying the truths that we have heard over these last three weeks to four specific lies of the enemy. I bet one of them you can can apply today. So if you'll just walk with me through this, this is an example of what it means to take every thought captive, okay? So I'm going to start with the first lie is you're all alone. Have you ever felt like that? Nobody like you... Nobody can relate to you. We were told that the work of the Father was choosing us for adoption. So we are not an orphan, spiritually speaking. We're a child of the living God, not alone. He's with us all the time, every second of every day. So when the enemy says, you're alone, you're going to have to figure it out all by yourself, that's a lie. You can say, I've been chosen for adoption. And for me, that leads to a place of gratitude. That's what I do. When I, when I hear that lie and I apply that truth, then I give thanks. Second lie. You'll never change. It would be so interesting and very awkward and embarrassing for us to go around the room today and say, what is it in your life, your besetting sin that just keeps on going? That struggle, that failure, that flaw. So the enemy says, it's never going to change. You're just going to be like that for the rest of your life. It's a lie. 
You've been redeemed from sin. It has no power over you whatsoever, only power that you give it. You can change. You've been set free. So live free. How about that? How about get up in the morning and say, you know what? I have failed time and time and time again in this area. Today, by God's grace, in his power, because I'm a redeemed child of God, I'm going to live free. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to sin and yes to God. That's how you wage war with the lies of the enemy. Number three, you don't matter. You're just insignificant. You're nothing. Paul says we've been claimed as God's inheritance. I do picture the Father in heaven on the edge of his throne just waiting for the day when his inheritance comes home. That's you. If you're in Christ, you are God's inheritance. So that means when the enemy says you don't matter, you can just rest assured. He's got you. And he will bring you home. The last lie. You can't trust anyone. Paul would say you can trust God. He sealed you with his very own spirit as a guarantee that his word is good. He will do as he has promised. So you can stay in the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't let the enemy wear you down. He has no power in your life whatsoever except whatever power you choose to give him. Chosen, redeemed, claimed, sealed, blessed with every spiritual blessing. And blessed to be a blessing. That's my hope and my heart for you this week and every week thereafter. That we would walk in that truth. As as a community of faith. And then see what God does with us. And through us. If you'll stand, I want to pray for us as we leave. I do want to mention uh, again, if you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here. If you're just still kind of checking out this church I want to invite you to Connecting Point it's immediately after down in the refuge we would love for you to pop down there and uh, just get an introduction to our church let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed Father in heaven this is so encouraging thank you for the good work that you have done on our behalf Thank you for every spiritual blessing that you have lavished on us. Not with a heart of drudgery, but with a heart of delight. 
Lord, I pray that we can walk in the truth that we believed. Lord, help us to believe it yet again every day. That you love us. That you care. And that you will bring us home when this life is over. We praise you today. You are worthy of our praise. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.